This is God's word. We need to give our attention to it. This is uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to the end of the chapter. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So in the reading of God's word, let's pray together. Father, you have commissioned us to be a people who are a people who listen to your word. You have appointed the work of preaching to be the vehicle that we hear you speak. We acknowledge, as your word says, that there is a foolishness and a weakness in the preached word, that we are a people that come and we are poor listeners. We have hearts that are distracted. We have preachers that have feeble lips and weak minds. And yet, Father, your power is made perfect in our weakness. And so you promise to work through the preached word. You promise to speak to us. And we earnestly and eagerly hope to hear your voice this morning, Father. By your Spirit, do all the things that you intend to do as we sit under your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In 1962, World War II General Douglas MacArthur was awarded the Sylvanus Thayer Award, which is an award given by the United States Military Academy at West Point for the individual who best represents the West Point motto. And when he was receiving his award, General MacArthur addressed the Corps of Cadets at West Point in what has become a famous speech. And he said this, Duty, honor, country. These three hallowed words reverently dictate what you can be, what you ought to be, what you will be. They are your rallying point when to, to build courage when courage seems to fail, to regain faith when there seems to be little cause for faith, and to create hope when hope becomes forlorn. So, beloved, what I want to ask you is, as Christians, what is our rallying point when courage begins to fail, when hope begins to weaken? Or more to the point, what is your place that you turn to when the trials of life batter and beat against you, or the successes of life 
seek to stir your heart away from the living God. Now, intellectually, in our heads, we know that we have every cause for faith. We have the surety of God's infallible promises. And we have the, the evidence that God is faithful to his promises through the resurrection of his son from the dead. And we have every cause for hope on the unchanging promises of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know these things. And yet, beloved, isn't it true that so often the things that we see and experience in our lives sometimes overwhelm the things that we know to be true and hope begins to fade and courage to stand firm seems to weaken. Now, um, the book of Hebrews and all of Scripture speaks clearly that it is vital for us to stand firm in our faith. Scripture teaches what we would call the perseverance of the saints, this, this true teaching that those whom God has set apart for himself from before the foundation of the world that he has given faith to will never totally and finally fall away from a state of grace, but will surely be preserved unto glory. And we have seen in this book of Hebrews this, this theme over and over again. And it's been like this pendulum swing between strong exhortations and encouragements to stand firm and stern warnings. This is what happens if you don't stand firm. Um, but when we get to this passage, there's a surprising means of encouragement. Because rather than pointing to Old Testament examples, here the author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, I want you to look at what God has done already in your life. Recall the faith and confidence that you had in Jesus Christ and preserve that faith, that confidence. Stand firm in it. You need that confidence. Because what we need to hear is right there in verse 36. This is the, the clear message we need to hear. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. True faith, beloved, true faith preserves to the end. It endures to the end. Now, kids, um, talk about confidence that can be a confusing topic for us. We can talk about being self-confident. Uh, confidence in this passage is really referring to faith. So often when we talk about faith, we talk about something that we believe in our head. It's a, a, something that, a knowledge that we accept as true, and that is part of faith. But he's using the term confidence, meaning something that we hold fast to, that we believe in our gut enough that it changes the way that we live. And when he talks about endurance, endurance really just means uh, con continuing in that faith, not letting it go, continuing to walk in it. Uh, like an endurance runner would run a long race without stopping, so we endure in our faith without stopping. And so we see these different, well, there's, there's a few different aspects of faith that we need to see in this passage that are critical for us to see. 
And that's how we're going to look at it. First, we're going to see that um, true faith gives us a, uh, creates a, a um, unique perspective on life. Uh, secondly, faith can weaken, but thirdly, that true faith continues. It endures to the end. It confidently endures. And so let's, let's look at the passage under those three headings. So it starts in verse 32, and he says, but recall the former days. Recall the former days. Scripture has a unique view on history. I don't know what you think about history. Generally, in our day and age, we have one of two views of history. Some of us look back and say, oh, we pine for the, the olden days, the way things were when you remember how good it was back then. Where, but probably the majority of these days are focused on what is new. New is better. Technology is better. You know, everything is better now. What uh, C.S. Lewis called a chronological snobbery, that the old things were never as good as this. Scripture has a much more measured view about history. Proverbs says to, to say, oh, the, the former days were better than these is not wise. And part of that is because of what he says, what Scripture says in Ecclesiastes, where he says there's nothing new under the sun not, uh, there are technological advancements. We grow in our understanding of Scripture and science and all these different things, and yet the heart of man is the same. Our hopes are the same. Our fears, our struggles are the same. And so newer is not better. Um, but here he says, recall the former days, but not because he wants us to look back and say, well, remember how good it was. Look what he says. It's, it's because it was it was worse. Recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Former days were not good. He doesn't want to, it seems like an odd thing to, to say, remember how bad it was. But his point isn't to, to remind us how bad things were in the past, but to remind us about our hope in the gospel and how that worked out. He said, you endured. You endured. And this wasn't a, um, just a rugged grit of being able to stick it out in the midst of tough times. This was a spiritual, a Holy Spirit-induced endurance. This was after you were enlightened. That's language to refer to the work of the Spirit to open our eyes to the realities of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And notice that it brings about a perspective change. He says, you endured uh, in this hard struggle, there was a steadfastness to be able to continue. That's one perspective that change that was there. But secondly, there is a uh, there is a unity of the spirit. There is a change in the way that we relate to one another. What was uh, our natural inclination? Inclination is to be all about ourselves and to be individual. But there was a change to be concerned about the community. See what he says? He says, he says, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. Think about how remarkable that is. Because it is normal, it is natural for us to suffer if somebody is publicly reproaching us or we are afflicted. So kids, reproach. Reproach means somebody's humiliating you. They're, they're uh, maybe treating you as though you're on the outside. 
that you're not one of them, you're, you're looked down upon. And he says, it's natural for us to feel suffering if somebody's reproaching us or if we are afflicted, but it is supernatural, a work of the Spirit, if we feel suffering when someone else is experiencing that and that is suffering for us. Now, we, we might feel that if a family member was reproached or afflicted, but I think that's the point. That's the point, beloved, is that the Spirit of God unifies God's people in a unique way so that we are a body. We are a family. We are a body where when one member of the body hurts, we all hurt. And they experience that as this type of affliction that happened, and, and they worked it out. It says, you had compassion on those in prison. You had compassion on those in prison. They were actually being imprisoned for their faith, and they had compassion on their brothers and sisters. It wasn't just a, well, I'm sorry. I have compassion. It sought them out, brought them food, in, uh, if, and cared for them even in prison. So there was that unity of the Spirit, but also there's a spiritual insight that transformed their thinking from a, temp, a temporal or in-this-life mindset to an eternal perspective. Because, see what it says? It says, you accepted the plundering of your property. You accepted the plundering of your property since you knew yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Uh, the early church was afflicted, oppressed by the Roman Empire in many ways. And, and one of those ways was the property was actually stolen because they were, they were taken away from them, plundered at the hand of their oppressors. But they accepted it because they said, these are transient. These are temporary. This is, this is nothing compared to the better and abiding possessions that they had. And, and also, beloved, notice how they accepted it. It says that you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. I think there was perhaps a joy in being reminded that they had better and abiding possessions. Like what we just read from 1 Peter, this eternal inheritance that can never spoil or fade, kept in heaven for us. That is our hope. There was joy in that. But there's also um, uh, a joy in the fact that they weren't enslaved to these earthly possessions. That they could, they could let those things go. Uh, also, a joy knowing that they were being, they were suffering for the sake of Christ. Like, praise God, they're they're taking this away simply because I love Jesus and my hope is firmly in Him. And beloved, we do have an eternal possession, and He wanted to draw us atten- our attention to that. But what I want to ask you is, do you, do you have these perspectives? These, this, is, this is the the work of the Spirit that changes the way that we view our experience, our lives, our, our end, so that we can endure. These are true perspectives. 
this is this is real and these are the things that help us preserve uh, endure in our faith so they had these um, these perspectives and yet faith can weaken I mean the, the author of Hebrews is having to write to these people who did these very things and he's having to encourage them and he's having to say remember or recall the former days when you stood firm in these ways and beloved uh, remember that parable that we just read the parable of the sowers it was uh, you know there are threats to our faith which threaten to undo us and undo our our endurance to the end there was the the trials of life with the the rocky soil that caused the plant to wither away there was the the cares of life and the deceitfulness of wealth that caused the thorny uh, the seed among the thorny grounds to wither and die and beloved, isn't it true that the waves of life just keep battering against our faith and keep eroding things? And we need to be encouraged lest we plunge into the sea and give up our faith. And that's exactly what was being at risk here. He, he said that you have need of endurance. Don't, he says, verse 35, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. I mean, think about when what causes you to throw things away. It's when they no longer have a usefulness to you. They're they're worn out. They're they're old. They're outdated. They they aren't helping you. And sometimes, with the cares of life, we can become tempted to throw away our faith and to live by sight in the midst of life. And he says, "Don't do it. There's a great reward. You have need of endurance." And it's like he wants to remind us that we might throw away our faith. There is that potential, but we must endure. We, we might, as it says in verse 38, shrink back, but we must live by faith. It can weaken. But, beloved, the, the truth is, is that we, um, true faith, real faith, confidently endures to the end. And you have to hear that there is a choice that the Spirit places before us in the midst of these in the midst of life is will you stand firm in the faith in face of adversity, in the face of affliction, in the face of even the pleasures of this life, stand firm in your faith, or will you shrink back? But there is confident expectation that we will endure. Look at verse 39. This is remarkable. He says, uh, after saying that there are these potentials that you could shrink back or live by faith, he says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. He's very definitive. It's, it is, uh, he speaks as though it's a fact. And isn't it true, beloved, that so often with our faith, we are like, cheerleaders at a football game you know they say I believe that we can win but it's we get to the fourth quarter it's like we're at the fourth quarter and it's we're down by 21 points and it's like well I think we can win I think we can pull it out if everything comes together but he's this is not a hopeful cheerleader this is the spirit of the living God and listen to what he says we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed 
but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. This isn't a hopeful optimism. This is a definitive truth. You might ask, well, how in the world can we possibly be that confident? And beloved, there's three solid grounds that he gives us that he's talked about all along. There is the surety of God's sovereign promise and plan for his people. There's the definitive work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And the third, and this is the important one we need to hear today, it's the work of the Spirit within you and me. That's why he's saying, recall the former days. Recall the faith that God has worked in you by his Spirit. This transformative way of thinking, this transformative way of living in the midst of life. And stand firm in that. That is the surety of the gospel, beloved, is that he works in us that which is pleasing in his sight to preserve us to the end. But it's important for us to, to understand who are the, the, the those there, the those who, have, uh, who are preserved. They're those, beloved, who walk by faith, who endure in their faith, which means two things. First of all, it means that you must have faith in Jesus Christ. You must have faith in Jesus Christ. There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. God has sent his son to save his people, and apart from him, we can do nothing. And so if you do not know Jesus Christ as your savior, the sovereign God of the universe commands you, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But beloved, the second part of that is that we must remain in him. You have need of endurance. All those whom God is preserving to the end will endure. And he commands you to endure and to walk into the faith that he has given to you. Endurance is essential. But beloved, we are often placed in, in the midst of these threats to our faith, threats to endurance. And so it's important for us to consider carefully what some of those threats are. I think our text gives us three key threats that we need to pay, pay attention to. The first threat is the seduction of the world. I mean, that the, he, was, he was commanding the the original hearers to remember how they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. Uh, 19th century pastor Andrew Murray pointed out that we as Christians are faced with two separate worlds who seek to gain mastery over our lives and offer us possessions. And it's in many ways a battle for our hearts to which possessions we will cling to. On the one hand, we have heavenly possessions, which are better, it says, abiding. They're eternal. They're, they're completely exactly what we want. And yet, the possessions of this world have two very deadly um, Benefits, which we, that, that uh, often lead our hearts astray. First of all, is that they're, they're right here in front of us, 
We can use them. We can enjoy them now. We don't have to wait. We can grab for them. They're accessible. And the second part, which is equally as dangerous, is that our hearts are predisposed to them. And the world around us proclaims, this is what you want. And so even in the face of the fact that there, we have a better and abiding possession ahead of us, so often we forsake the eternal for what we have right now. So we have the seduction of the world. That is a danger to our faith. The second one is the approval of others. You know, it talks about, first of all, the being exposed to reproach, the endurance under reproach. I mean, nobody wants to be a reproach. We don't want to be afflicted, and so we can compromise. We can try to fit in. But we have to remember that the world is never satisfied. There is absolute enmity, uh, a fight between those who are possessed by the Spirit of Christ and those who are of the world. Our attempts to fit in will never succeed and will never satisfy. But, beloved, there's another, even more subtle and insidious way that the approval of the world actually does affect us. I think more than we know. We are like fish in water that we don't even notice it. And that's so, so often we simply accept the world's ways of operating. We play the world's game um, rather than reordering our priorities, our values, our ambitions in accordance with their true value according to Scripture. Because what is the world's game? In our day and age, the world's game is work comes first. There's nothing more important than achievement, gaining riches, stature, position. We are always connected. We can't leave. Our phones are in our pockets. Our laptops are at home. We must be connected. We must deliver. That's our first priority. After that, we need to pursue our kids. Everything's about our kids. So often the church grows because it has kids programs, because we want to come to worship, not because the Spirit has drawn us there, but because we want to give our kids the best shaping influences. Beyond that, we have our, our me time, need to get some sleep, and after all that's said and done, Maybe we can squeeze in some church. Maybe we can find some time to read God's word. Maybe some time for prayer. Church becomes an extra, extracurricular. And that becomes the way that we function. And that's a way that the, the world chips away at our faith rather than experiencing the grace that God has given to us. We need to, to beware of seeking the approval of others. But finally, beloved, is the the threat of sloth, indifference, apathy, uh, and acceptance, a, a, a false understanding of the way that God works. We rightfully believe that God is the one who preserves us to the end, but we forget, we miss the fact that God preserves us through our faithful work as we are obedient to his commands, and the Spirit works in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Um, Puritan Thomas Watson said that nobody endures by doing nothing. 
Faith is not like a, a ship where we get on the deck and we fall asleep while the captain just uh, drives the ship. We reach the end like a runner running the race to the end. We, we gain victory by fighting. That is endurance in Scripture. We, we must beware of, um, of that temptation. So if we have those threats, we have to think about the means that God preserves us, the means that God has given to us. And Douglas MacArthur gave those three words, duty, honor, and country. And I think, beloved, that if we think from a biblical standpoint, that those three words can also encourage us as we seek to be faithful and to endure to the end. To the, to the threat of sloth, we think of our duty. Duty is a, a dirty word for us. We don't, we, we don't want to be, have, do things from the heart and have the emotion. We don't want to do things out of, duty sounds so, but beloved, that's not biblically true. Let no debt remain outstanding except for the obligation you have to love one another. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the whole duty of man. We have been given so much. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. That is a response of the gospel that we have been given because of God's grace for us. We have a duty to honor our God with all of our heart. We have an honor, a duty to love one another and to pursue one another. I mean, think about the, uh, those three let us commands that we considered a couple weeks ago. Those are all commands for his church, a ways that we endure to the end. Let us draw near. We have a duty to worship our God. Let us hold fast our confession. We have a duty to understand the truths that have been given to us so that we can walk in them. And let us consider how we can stir one another up to love and good deeds. This is our duty that God has given to us that we might stand firm. Uh, to, the, to the threat that we would give in to an approval of others, we must consider honor. We seek to honor the Almighty God, when we misprioritize our lives, we tell God, your calling is not the highest calling. But when we reprioritize our lives to live in a way that's pleasing to him, we honor him with our lives. This is how we glorify him. And remember, the gospel is staked on the honor of our God. Remember, our God said, he swore by himself. He said, I swear I will, I will surely save you. He sent his son as a vindication of his honor. And when he saves us, it is for his glory. We must honor God with our lives. And finally, beloved, to the threat of the seduction of this world, we need to consider that we have been given a better country, a better country. We'll hear about this more in Hebrews chapter 11, but we are constantly exhorted to remember the heavenly riches, the heavenly inheritance that is ours. We have been given something far better 
that abides, that doesn't fade away, that is ours, that is eternal and eternal salvation, an eternal inheritance that far exceeds any of the scraps and trinkets of this world. That must transform that, uh, the way that we think. And we have to fix our eyes on it. Because, beloved, it is coming soon. That's what he says. Yet a little while. Yet a little while. And the coming one will come. We will receive what is promised. There is great reward. But it is a heavenly reward. See to it that you do not miss out on that as you clamor for the trinkets of this world. And so, beloved, just a couple things in closing. Recall the former days of your own heart. If you're in the midst of doubt or you feel your faith wavering, recall the former days. Recall what the, what the Lord has done in your heart. If you're in Christ Jesus, the Spirit has worked joy in your life. He has changed your perspective. And if you can compare with what happened in the past and your faith has weakened, confess it. Run back to the Lord. He is eagerly calling you back to himself, saying, come to me, cling to Christ, draw near to him. That is where your hope is found. But also, beloved, if you can't look back to a time where you experienced that those indicators of joy, that, that change perspective. If your life now is no different than before you knew Christ, then my exhortation to you, beloved, is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have some honest prayers with the Almighty God. Ask Him if you really have really tasted the sweetness of Jesus Christ, because the Spirit doesn't leave us unchanged. The Spirit works change in us. And beloved, I think this is a particular concern for us who have been raised in Christian homes. There is a blessing of being raised in a Christian home, but we often misconstrue knowledge of the gospel and religious practice with true faith. And beloved, that is not true faith. True faith is clinging to Christ by the work of the Spirit and allowing that to transform our lives and walk in it. Beloved, the Spirit gives us joy and enables us to trust in Him. It captures our hearts. It emboldens us with new perspectives. We must walk in it. And so, beloved, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the same time, beloved, don't wait until you think you have enough faith to qualify you for God's grace. Scripture never talks about a quantity or a quality. It talks about clinging to Christ by faith. Even the smallest amount of faith is sufficient. Your faith may have been weakened by the things of this life, but your cry should be, Father, I believe. <laughs> Help me with my unbelief. Help me to walk in it. But above all, beloved, we need to rest. Rest in the unchanging power and love of the Almighty God. Make this 
your confidence. Not even your faith. Make your confidence in God. God is the one who has given us powerful, unchanging promises. God is the one who sent his son and raised him from the dead as evidence of his power that he is working in us. God is the one who has given us his spirit so that we might cling to Christ and walk by faith. And God is the one that by his spirit is working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Beloved, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith and preserve their souls. Cling to the confidence that is ours in Jesus Christ, beloved. To him be the glory. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you speak to us sometimes directly and you shake us when we need to be shaken, that we would not totter and fall, but that we would sometimes awake from our slumber. Oh, Spirit, would you help us to apply your word as we ought for the glory of our God, for the glory of Christ, and for our eternal benefit. Our salvation depends on it, Father. So help us to do that. You have promised. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.